Welcome to Out of the Arts with Beth and Amy. We will help you bridge the gap between an arts career and a career outside the arts industry. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media at Out of the Arts, linked in the show notes. Welcome to Out of the Arts with Beth and Amy. Something that we all deal with when we're changing careers, whether we are going from performing to behind the scenes or we are leaving the industry totally, especially right now since a lot of people are looking for jobs outside the industry because of COVID. And so we find ourselves in positions where we are looking for a job, but not necessarily by our own wants and desires. So there's a lot of different things to talk through today. Amy, where would you like to get started? So I think one of the biggest things that arts people deal with when they're looking at a non-arts job is the shame in leaving and and feeling like you're abandoning something that you love and that you've put a lot of time and energy and passion into. Uh, And a lot of people, I think, also kind of there's a there's a sort of inherent shame or shaming in the industry sometimes too where especially i think with performers whether you're a musician a dancer an actor a singer it doesn't much matter but if you're not 100% in it all of the time that you're not a true artist yes and we've heard that from people who talk about having like a 9 to 5 job feeling that way that yes they're producing works in the evening and weekend they're writing their own stuff but they also have a day job and it's like oh well if you're not making all of your money from that are you really an artist yes you're really an artist right I mean opera singers in particular this was the experience I had as a young opera singer you have to do a lot of pay to sings which is frustrating and you can't always afford to do them you also take on a lot of opportunities with smaller companies or with touring companies that are doing shows for schools and things like that where you're like doing an operatic version of chicken little or something and you're all dressed up as opera singing chickens have you done that I have not. I I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And the people who have done it, man, I mean, I applaud you because that's true dedication. And I'm not saying that doing that is a bad thing by any means. But the fact that those are the dues you kind of have to pay in order to make your way in the industry, that's not fair. Because let me tell you, that's not what I got into it for. I did not get into it for the fame and glory of dressing up as a chicken. I got into it for the sharing and storytelling and the emotion of it. And so, you know, it's not fair that sometimes the only options are either to have to pay to sing or to lower your sense of of passion and meaning in it. And those are neither one of those are great options or fair options. 
I didn't realize that in the opera industry, there's pay to sing. Oh, God. What's the worst? <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't understand. So when you graduate with an opera degree, a performance degree, your voice for the most part, especially if you go straight through and you're still in your early to mid 20s, your voice is not entirely fully developed yet and really doesn't completely develop until your early to mid 30s. That's when you hit your peak, really, as far as uh, vocal health and development. So during that time, until you're building experience, you're building endurance, you're building technique, they have these things where they're like, well, you can come to Croatia for the summer and you'll get this experience with great musicians and these great teachers and these great collaborators and you pay us $5,000 to be here. It's essentially adult summer camp for classical singers. Oh. And it is a huge part of the industry and it is very, very unfair. So it's how un- unequitable. A lot of people can't afford it. There's tons of fundraising and Kickstarters and GoFundMe's and things that people are forming all of the time just to try and get some basic experience. And it's not, it's, I personally think it's a very toxic part of the industry. That's very, very frustrating. Yeah. So when you have that experience, it's so interesting to me that you see these things going on and you're like, okay, I don't have a place necessarily right now to go and sing and get paid. So my only option is to pay to sing and having a day job is then shamed for it. Like that is so hard. Right? Yeah. It's a, it's a really dangerous spiral and a really unhealthy spiral. So how did you deal with you know, the shame of having a nine to five. Did did you just have to say, well, screw you. I have to do what I have to do and moved on. Did you, and then, and then you unintentionally left in that you just ended up with a job that was a really good fit mm-hmm. outside of the arts industry and decided you could make a career out of that. So how did that feel emotionally? How was that journey? So when I first graduated and I was still full speed ahead pursuing a performance career. I was waitressing as my quote unquote full-time gig. It wasn't a nine to five, but it was regular because it was the one job where I felt like I didn't have to invest myself. And I was able to take time off or switch shifts with someone if I had an audition or a rehearsal and no one cared. The food service industry has its own toxic qualities in its own way, but that's a whole different story. (laughs) Uh, But for the most part, I was able to support myself and do what I needed to do. And then when I started to realize that I wasn't making enough money, I needed something a little bit more stable. Then I got a job in a box office And I felt like I was able to sort of rationalize that as, oh, well, I'm still in theater. I'm still in the arts. I'm still involved in this 
theater that is a pillar of the community and that I'm able to still compartmentalize those feelings. It was actually for me when I left the theater and started to go in a new direction with the same skills, same training, but no longer in the arts that I hit my identity crisis. Oh, and that's a great, that's a great way to say that as an identity crisis, because that's very much what it is. I mean, you have to deal with the emotional, working through the emotional trauma of what everyone else is saying. I mean, that's just part of life is Mm -hmm. people are going to say, oh, well, you worked so hard for this and you spent so much time on this and aren't you still in love with it? Well, yeah, of course I love it. Duh. But maybe that's not giving me the life I want. Maybe there are no jobs right now, whatever that reason is. I think it's just so comfortable about feeling that yourself. But it's the internal crisis, which is probably more emotional stress, Mm -hmm. where we have to work through it on our own so that we can be comfortable talking about it to other people. Right. Right. And that piece of the puzzle took a long time for me to accept. That took several years for me to work through to understand that, okay, I'm no longer a performer, quote unquote, that's no longer the first piece of the puzzle. I'm now a communications professional who also has a background and a passion and an interest in performing and teaching singing. So switching and having it go to second priority, that whole thing took a long time for me to work through and to let go of, for sure. So you say a long time. What does that mean to you? I mean, it was a few years. I would say it was two to three years before I finally was able to accept that I'm not going back to performing and that I'm moving forward in a new direction and that this is okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think a couple of years definitely makes sense. I was reading, there's a couple articles that are floating through my head right now. Of course, none of them I can remember where I saw them, but <laughs> if they pop up on your newsfeed, now you know why, because our phones are creeping on us, <laughs> which, whatever. <laughs> So we, the one thing is about how in our 20s, we identify ourselves as what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We don't think we are a sibling and, you know, someone's kid and someone's best friend. That's not how we identify ourselves. We identify ourselves as a performer, as a designer, as, oh, I went to this college and this college and this college, you know? Whenever you have to introduce yourself in your early 20s, that's those are your kind of couple bullet points. Maybe you were married in your early 20s and that's a bullet point, but for many of us, it's not. So it is that, you know, in our 20s, we do identify ourselves so much by what we do, which is not necessarily healthy, but a mm-hmm. part of life. And at least we're not alone. So identity... And especially in our 20s, in our 20s, we're still trying to figure out what our identity is, whether you went to college or not, it doesn't matter. But whatever it is in our 20s, we're still trying to figure out who we are and our place in the world. 
And it's so easy to latch on to our profession because for a little while in your 20s, for the most part, like you said, that's kind of all you have. You have your college education if you had one and you have your profession and whether or not your profession is actually going to turn into a long-term career or not, we don't know that at the time. And when you're 23, you have trouble seeing too far ahead into the future and understanding that things can change. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's, that is an understatement by far. I was thinking recently about how dumb I was in my 20s Um, (laughs) and thinking about the things I would cling to because I really knew nothing. And Mm. I still think about it and I'll think, okay, I said this once. Oh, God, I really said that out loud. Uh, Oh, Amy knows what some of these things are. I'm not going to talk about them right now because y'all don't need to know all that. But just know that in our 20s, sometimes we don't always make the best decisions. I know I didn't, and I'm okay with that. I have learned I'm growing. Yes, and that's the most important piece is if you can – accept those things and just move beyond them and understand that youth is wasted on the young, then great. And here we are now as adults in our mid thirties and we still don't have everything figured out. We still (laughs) have a lot of questions, but we also have some experience that has allowed us to grow from 10 years ago or even five years ago or two years ago. And I think that's a great thing for us all to remember as we go through this emotional journey, right? Is that A, all of us are going through this emotional journey in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, whether or not you're going through a career change or whatever it may be, everyone is on an emotional journey every day. Especially right now where we have to wonder if, We're going to be diseased. Are we going to end up in a hospital? Who's elected president tomorrow? Like we, there's so many questions on a national level. And then in the personal realm of, do you still have a job? Let alone wanting to career change. So it's really important to know you're not alone. Everyone is in the boat with you. And... It's a journey. This isn't something that happens overnight. You know, Amy said it was a couple of years. Yeah. And I feel like I say it was a couple of years from beginning of confusion to where I got to the point where I was like, all right, I think I can get myself to a place where I'm not quite as confused. It wasn't a couple of years from problem to problem solved because the problem is never really solved. It's like we said, it's a journey. Every day's different. Some days I literally, I'm a, I'm a crier. I'm an emotional crier. So some days I literally cry because I miss performing, I miss that life. And sometimes I feel like there's some regret there. And then the next day I get up and 
I look at what I am doing now and I love that too. And I jump headfirst into it and it's exciting. So it's not about solving problems and walking away and having them be done because that's not a thing, but it's about starting to become comfortable with where you are. Yes. And, and figuring out how to be grateful for what you do have. Yes. And I mean, we talk through there, you can walk through a couple of steps. I think of it as the Marie, what's her name? Marie, the woman who tells you how Marie to fold Kondo. Your, Yes. Marie yes. Kondo. I think of it as that method of changing your job. So instead of getting rid of the old t-shirts, you're getting rid of a job that maybe isn't suiting your life. <laughs> you look at your job, you look at the things you've done and you said, this is awesome. This has served me well. Thank you for being awesome. I love so much of the work that I've done. And I mean, Amy says the same thing mm-hmm. where we love the work we've done. We don't regret it at all. But at the same time, it was not serving our life to the best of its abilities. And so we needed to put it in a bag to go to Goodwill or Salvation Army or whatever. <laughs> I know it's kind of a silly reference point, but. Being able to thank the life that you've been having, I think, is a really nice step to say, to feel affirmed that you were doing it on purpose. You were following your dream. You were loving the life you had. This isn't about making money. I mean, none of us get into the arts to make money. (laughs) That's not a thing. But some people do make really good money. That That is a thing. But it is about making sure that you are enjoying the life that you're having as well. So you're no longer defining yourself as performer or designer or I went to this school, right? We've changed. We've moved on. So thank you for giving me some experiences. Thank you for giving me certain skills that I can take into my next life. You know, I... I don't know that I could tell you what I was wearing when I met my husband, but if I knew what that answer was, I'd probably thank it for making me look cute while I met my husband. But it doesn't mean I need to keep it forever. So I can keep my husband. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. Choosing between your husband and an outfit. I go with the husband. He yep. makes you dinner. He's he's a good guy. <laughs> Definitely go with the husband, at least in my husband. Thinking of your career as a t-shirt, which this is an extreme simplification, but I hope it gives you some good ideas about ways to kind of walk through that emotional journey because it is like getting rid of a shirt that you've had forever and loved forever and don't want to keep anymore. Um, both are emotional journeys and I, I want to kind of Make sure that I can break it down in a way that you guys can process through it. I remember when I decided to leave the industry, I had kind of started saying some things out loud about, oh, well, I might just for now because I wanted to move to Nashville. My husband had gotten a job down here and I was really burnt out. So for me, it was... I need to, I would like to live in the same state as my husband. 
So it was really easy for me to tell people out loud that I was doing this because I wanted to live in the same state and everyone could justify that easily for me. But it had probably been a year of thinking through it and does this make sense and is this what I want? And I didn't take a job outside the arts knowing that this would be forever. I still don't know that it's forever. But I know that leaving the industry in that time was what I've needed to do best. And a lot of people are getting jobs outside of the industry to make bills so they can travel more, so they can make bills in the time of corona. Um, I feel like that's a song or a book. If someone has a book or a song about the times of corona, I think that's brilliant. Um, please tag it for us. There are a lot of classical musicians out there, I think, who are tackling these things, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Zoom Zoom operas and things like that, which I think is fun, but Yeah. I even have a lighting designer friend who just did who just did a piece of work this weekend. So she was posting about it and I didn't get to see it. All my friends are on the East Coast time and I always forget. So I sign on late. I'm like, "Ah, fail." I know that. I know that she's working and they're finding really cool ways to do some of that work. Mm -hmm. So this emotional journey is not something that comes easy. Uh, Amy says she still deals with it. I don't know how much I still deal with it, but I'm much less sentimental. I'm, I'm very rarely (laughs) sentimental. That's not really my gift. I didn't get upset when we left camp and everybody was going away and no one's going to see each other ever again. I don't get upset when we graduate school and everyone's going away and we're never seeing each other again. No, we're not dying. We're just moving. And especially with social media and especially now, it's really crazy to me to be distraught that I'm moving from people like we're dying. Girl, you are calling me out right now, and I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) I'm so sorry. See, for me... This is why we're a pair. (laughs) Uh, For me, I really crave the one-on-one personal connection. That's how I understand people and read them as like on an empathic level for the most part. And when I can't be around them, it confuses me. And I feel like I can't get a good read and I, I can't really truly connect with them. And so when we're all going in different directions, it feels like my own, this is going to sound like very ethereal, but like my own energy is splitting and going off in different directions. And it's very overwhelming and very sad. And I feel very empty when I'm not with my people that I've made close connections to. So I like to live in the nostalgia and I am sentimental 
And it's really important to me to keep those connections. Social media does help a lot though, to an extent, but social media is also not nearly as genuine as one-on-one -on -one personal energy. Oh, that's absolutely true. And actually, I will say that's the one thing I miss about leaving the industry is I don't think it's as easy or as consistent to make relationships in other industries. Like I have moved into learning and development. I love it. I love helping people learn new things that they don't think they can learn. I love presenting. I love helping connect the dots for other people and organizing events for them. I, I love all of that. But I think I know five people who do that. And there's a whole industry out there of people, but it's not like in theater where I knew lighting designers, sound designers, performers, set designers, the painters, the carpenters, you know, I, I knew so many different people in so many different facets of what we were doing and then ran into them in every state that I've lived in um, where I was in Wisconsin on and off a long time ago and ran into a friend from high school, no, college, ran into a friend from college who was up there working. That's not really a thing anymore in this learning and development land and making relationships is significantly harder. So I will say that's the one thing that I miss, even not being sentimental, um, is that it is hard to make those relationships with the people you work with. And and I'm the extrovert. I'll go make friends with anybody. But it's not the same. I feel like so many of us in the arts come from similar backgrounds or we are all similarly weird. And all of a sudden, I'm a weird kid by myself. <laughs> You know, I was on a bus once, I think actually, maybe I was going to an audition or something like that, but I was, I was on a bus and there were two girls in the seat in front of me. They couldn't have, they had to have been in high school. I think they were, they were young ish, like maybe 15, give or take. And they were talking about something and I had my music on and I wasn't really paying attention. And then I kind of tuned into their conversation for, I don't know, something must have caught my attention. And one of the girls goes, you know how musicians and music teachers just have like this sort of weirdness. And the other one was like, yeah, I can't really explain it, but I get it. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's us. Yes. That's us. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what it is. And I mean, the thing that's probably helped me the most in this transition and working through it emotionally is knowing what I'm wanting for my life going forwards. And I could not fit my career in theater into that life. Mm -hmm. So I knew if I wanted to live that life, I needed to make that swap. So knowing that I, the life I want to lead doesn't necessarily align with that. And knowing that 
I have really great skills that I can be thankful for because of the theater work that I've done. Yes. And say, okay, I did all this theater work. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't for not. It was a wonderful experience where I learned a hell of a lot. As a performing arts career professional, you have more hands-on work than so many people in different industries just because you're forced to do it. There is no, oh, we'll do, we're going to do four months worth of paperwork on this. Now, okay, if you're a stage manager, you've done a lot of paperwork. (laughs) But you've also done so much of it practically, you understand what it means. There is Mm -hmm. no, there's very little time where we're just spending in theory, which is good and bad. But the good is you have so much work that you've done, so much time that you've spent leading and communicating and collaborating that other people haven't had. Mm -hmm. So for me, I mean, the biggest parts have been knowing that I have great skills from this previous life. That's why I always call it. I call it my past life. (laughs) And clearly I died and came back. Um, (laughs) It's what it feels like sometimes, though. It really is. And I think that that might be an emotional response. Mm -hmm. Because it's easier to say that was my past life and this is my current slash. Right. To compartmentalize and put it behind you. And say that's done now and walk away. Yeah. I think I think that's a that's like a trauma response, essentially. Are you telling me I should go to therapy, Amy? <laughs> well, I think everyone should go to therapy, first of all. That's a whole different conversation again. What do you think? <laughs> what has been the most helpful for you when making, you know, when coming to terms with not going back to performing? For me. Like I mentioned earlier, it was kind of the identity crisis, learning that I can still be a whole person and still be fulfilled for myself and also still offer value to society and to other people and to my job without being on stage and performing. And in particular for me, it's singing. It's the music that came first for me more so than the acting and performing, but, you know, being able to do something and still feel good about it and still feel fulfilled without using music as a tool or as a mode of communication and separating out the me from the musician that was, that's probably why it took so long for me to come to grips with my journey, because it's really, really hard to separate those things out. Because I was a musician my entire life. I started piano lessons when I was four, and then I played flute and clarinet, and then I played French horn, and then I learned guitar, and then I was singing the whole time, and music was always part of my life. And it's literally in my blood it my grandmother was a pianist and a music teacher my father was a drummer and had a gorgeous voice and 
even through college, my grandmother used to cry at me after every performance and say, I wish my father could hear you because apparently he also had a beautiful voice and it comes down through the line. So, <laughs> so it, there was a lot of pressure on me growing up. I mean, I put it on myself, but there was a lot of pressure on me growing up and into early adulthood to be a musician and to be not just a musician, but a good musician and to really take it far and letting go of almost 30 years of being a musician and learning that I could be more than that. That was super hard, but also the number one key for me to be able to move past it. Well, and you also played, do you play French horn? Am I making that up? No, that's real. So you keep saying that the music was first for you. Mm-hmm. Why? Is there a reason you didn't decide to just shift from performing and singing to orchestra? And Well, because that's actually a funny question. So when I went to college you kind of have the choice essentially some people don't necessarily make the choice and they can do they can take two roads but if you're really dedicating yourself to a career in one or the other when it comes to wind instruments and brass instruments in particular the embouchure which is the way you hold your lips in order to make the sound uh the muscles you need to develop in order to have the right embouchure for playing French horn actually get in the way of good singing technique. Uh-huh. So to be able to balance them both very, very seriously is possible, but very difficult. And often, you know, you are uh, advised to choose one or the other. And so I was, I was advised to choose one or the other And I chose singing for me because singing had what I didn't realize at the time, but what I came to realize later was singing had the storytelling aspect to it. The performing and singing had the storytelling aspect to it that I really clung on to and that was important to me. So I chose singing and Uh, When it came down to, you know, being in my late 20s and deciding that I wasn't going to pursue a singing career anymore, by that point, I was so far removed from playing instruments that it would take a lot of time and training for me to focus and get back into that if I wanted to go down uh, the route of an orchestra career. It just wasn't realistic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Things I never knew. (laughs) well we hope that today's conversation helps you understand that you're not alone it is an emotional journey it's okay you are in good company it's a marathon not a sprint for any of my runners out there for any of my non-runners you are making tea you're not making ramen (laughs) what (laughs) Tea takes more time, effort, patience. Ramen is just put it in a pot and wish it well. 
Okay. Interesting. I like your perspective. Okay. Maybe that analogy doesn't work completely, but hopefully you get where I'm going. (laughs) So know that you're not alone. Know that it's a journey. And if you need to talk, feel free to reach out. We're here. We're here to talk. So we hope this helps. Thank you for joining us today on Out of the Arts Podcast. If you have questions or want to see specific content, please leave a comment or email podcast at outofthearts.com. See you next time. And until then, we are rooting for you.